This is the Parenting for Faith podcast from BRF Ministries. Parenting for Faith exists to help you help the children and teens in your life to meet and to know God. We do this through online events, courses and resources. And you can find out more at parentingforfaith.org. Hello and welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name's Anna Hawkin. I'm part of the team here at Parenting for Faith, which is one of the four ministries of BRF Ministries and your host for today. Uh, This is episode five of season seven, and we are continuing the conversation that we started last week about how to talk to our children and young people about sex. So we had uh, Emma Waring, who is a psychosexual nurse therapist, give us some really good pointers. If you missed that conversation, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to that. And today we have Sheila Ray Gregoire, where we're going to be looking a bit more about puberty and older children and how we talk to them about sex as well. So yeah, just a little bit of a heads up, like last week, some of the themes and content of that interview and that conversation are of a sexual nature. So it might be one that you want to listen to with headphones in or when your kids aren't around, just so that you are... You can listen to that on your own first. Also wanted to remind you that on the 17th of October, so next week, uh, is our decision-making pop-up small group. Invite a few friends uh, to watch with you, whether that's online or in your living room or at church, whatever works. Um, But Rachel Turner is going to be taking us through how to talk to our kids about decision-making. Big decisions, little decisions. It's going to be super helpful. We love your questions and your comments. Um, It's free. You don't need to book. You just rock up on Facebook Live, 8pm on the 17th of October. But let's hear now what Sheila had to say to Lucy. So I can't quite believe I'm saying this, but I am with Sheila Ray Gregoire. Sheila is one of my all-time favourite Christian authors and speakers and content creators. I absolutely love everything she produces. And if you haven't come across her yet, then you really do have a treat in store. (laughs) She is the face behind bearmarriage.com, which you definitely need to go and check out. She's the host of the Bear Marriage podcast, which you also need to go check out, a sought-after speaker and an award-winning author of nine books, including The Great Sex Rescue. She's huge she's no nonsense she's biblical she's articulate all the things I love and she's passionate about changing the evangelical conversation about sex and marriage to line up with kingdom principles Sheila lives in Ontario Canada with her husband Keith they have two adult daughters and two grandchildren Sheila Ray Gregoire welcome to the podcast thanks Lucy it's great to be here such a privilege to have you. We're going to just dive straight in because I know you you don't really like talk, small talk, so let's just go for it. <laughs> um, in recent years, the church and Christian authors have not always done a great job of talking about sex. And I know that much of your ministry in the last couple of years has been devoted to understanding God's design for sex and what the Bible says about it and presenting a much healthier view than maybe we've had in the past. So, We're going to focus on that healthier view in a minute. But just to start with, can you give us a snapshot of some of the areas to avoid when talking about puberty and sex with our teenagers? What are the kind of potholes that we need to try and sort of skirt around? Okay. Well, I think one of the big problems with the way that we think about sex is that we think of it as something which men need and women provide. 
And so if we're going to stop sex from happening with kids, we need to make sure that men never feel a need for sex and never want sex or boys never want sex. And so the onus falls on girls because because boys can't help it. And this goes into marriage, too, (laughs) you know, where where men feel this entitlement to sex and women feel this obligation to have sex. And we've missed the entire point. You know, and I like to say that God God created sex to be something which is mutual. So it's for both of you. It's pleasurable for both. And it's intimate. It's not something that you just have to have quickly so that he doesn't feel discomfort. No, this is something which is supposed to be intimate. It's supposed to be sacred and meaningful. And I think so often we've just made it into this ugly thing Mm -hmm. that you have to do to prevent something bad from happening. Yeah. I love how you frame it as something so positive. And I guess when our kids are younger, it's difficult to talk about sex in those terms. Mm -hmm. We're, We're talking mainly about the nuts and bolts and this is how you create a baby. But as our children get older, we can maybe really bring in that intimacy and focus on the fact that it's for both, that God intended for both, and that it's not one-sided. I love mm-hmm. I love what you're saying. Um, now, assuming we have already covered the basics of sex and puberty by the time our, our children get to, you know, we're talking about tween, teenage, how do we restart those conversations as our children get older? How do we kind of um, create this wonderful view of sex that you've just articulated for us? as maybe our teenagers are becoming a bit more self-conscious and less likely to want to talk to us? What are your tips? Well, one of the first things is you need to model it, okay? It is really hard to talk about sex well if you yourself have shame. And so this is like, seriously, before your kids get to the teen years, work out your own stuff. We all have stuff. I had so much stuff. (laughs) And we've just finished a new book called She Deserves Better. We surveyed 7,000 women to find out how the messages they heard as teens affected them long-term. And it was really sad. Like the church has done a real number, especially on girls, but on boys too, Mm. um, with the way we talk about this. And it's going to be difficult to get it right if we're still holding on to a lot of this stuff. Um, And I, I think a lot of it is that we see sex as something which is fundamentally scary and threatening. Mm. Um, And instead it's like, look, this is something beautiful in its proper place, but it doesn't have to be your entire life. It doesn't have to be about everything that you think about. Um, And I think often with boys, we assume that it is. Yeah. You know, and we treat them like they can't help it. They're just going to be little lust monsters. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember a couple of years ago, there was this Facebook post that went viral where a woman was sharing that she walked into church with her two teenage boys. And um, and then these teenage girls walked in and sat in the pew in front of them and they were wearing leggings. And so this woman stood up, got her boys to stand up and went and sat in front of these girls so that her boys didn't have to stare at these girls all during worship and wouldn't be distracted. Oh, gosh. And people, you know, there's a great debate about this. But what I'm yeah. thinking is, what lesson did you just teach your boys? Mm. Yeah. You just taught them that it is impossible for you to think about God or remain in a good headspace um, when there are attractive girls in your line of sight. Mm. And so you've taught them you are helpless. Yep. And what if you just simply treated it like it's not a big deal? Hey, you know what? You're going to see pretty girls sometimes. You can see them and then you can move on. You can think, hey, not for me right now. Like this is what we need to be assuming. Noticing is not lusting, yep. but we have taught boys and girls that if a guy notices, he has already done all of this terrible stuff in his mind and he's already sinned. 
And that's an awful burden to put on 12, 13, 14 year old boys, because how are they supposed to not notice? Mm. You know, if you see someone's chest and, and you get this fleeting thought about it, you have sinned. And so we we make these guys hyper vigilant. Yeah. And guess what? That creates more of the problem. And multiple studies have found that that boys who are hyper vigilant about this and who have a very shame based message about lust are more likely to struggle with pornography, are less likely to have healthy relationships with the opposite sex. Like you can just teach your boys, hey, you're going to notice you're going to see people who are attractive and it just doesn't have to be any big deal. Yeah. And you can teach your girls the same thing because girls notice too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It rings so true because I've got three boys. I've got one one daughter, but three boys. So I predominantly come to this issue as a mum of boys. And I, as much as anything else, I feel like it interferes with my discipleship of them to be kind of teaching that they can't help it. Because surely what we're trying to say to our, our kids, boys and girls, is that we've all fallen short. But by God's grace, by God's Holy Spirit living in us, we can change, not through our own power, but through God's power. And the message that we're sending, if we say to our boys, you can't help this, is, Mm -hmm. yes, it's shame-based. And it's also like, what, are you not good enough for God's Holy Spirit to work through? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Girls do not have the Holy Spirit more than boys do. (laughs) Yeah. Amen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's such an important um, message for both for, for both genders. And I just wanted to kind of go back to what you were saying about sort of modeling for our kids, because obviously, you know, when it comes to sex, right, we talk at Parenting for Faith about creating windows, okay, and showing our, our children and our teens what a life lived with God looks like and the ups and downs. But obviously, when it comes to sex, not to put too fine a point on it, we can't literally create a window into our sex lives. So are there other ways that we can help our children and our teenagers to see and understand a healthy biblical view of sex? What do you recommend? I think if you're in a good marriage, you know, just do public displays of affection if you can, you know, hold each other's hands, kiss it, let them see that you like each other, you know, let them see that you enjoy touching each other. You don't want your kids to think marriage is where sex goes to die, right? Like yeah. <laughs> you definitely don't want your kids to think that. Um, I think another big thing, think about how often in scripture it says, do not be afraid, right? Do not be afraid. So many of us are so scared of the sex conversations and we really blow them up in our minds. Um, I know I did this. I remember uh, when my youngest was 14, she came home from summer camp and we were unpacking her clothes. We were just chatting as she was unpacking her suitcase. And she said to me, um, and at this point I already had published a sex book, but you know, we, we, we talked, but we didn't talk a ton. You know, she knew the basics. I felt like I did a fairly good job, but it's not something we always talked about. Um, but she's like, oh my gosh, mom, next year, you just need to do the sex talk because, you know, they were talking about how you're supposed to wait for marriage and they don't even realize that like all of these girls are, st- are already having oral sex. They don't even think oral sex is a real thing. And they didn't even touch on masturbation. And it's like, you can't even do, and, and I'm listening, and I don't even, I didn't even realize she knew what these words were. Like, wow. I, <laughs> and I'm trying to keep, I'm trying to keep a straight face and I'm trying to not freak out on the inside, but I'm thinking if my little girl knows these words, I think somewhere inside us, we think if they know the words, they're going to act on it. Mm. And so we don't want to explain this stuff to them because it's going to ruin their innocence and they're going to act on it. Well, let me tell you emphatically, that's not true. Um, What we found in our research for She Deserves Better is that the more words um, about sex that girls knew when they graduated high school, um, the, the more they understood about their periods, 
the the more they understood the word consent, the less likely they were to engage in risky sexual behaviors, the less likely they were to have, you know, multiple sexual partners or anything like that. Mm. You know, the more likely they were to do what you want them to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like information is actually protective. Yes. Information is very protective. Because if they know they can get it from you, they're not going to look for it elsewhere. And if they can name these sex acts, if they then then they're going to understand what other people are talking about, first of all. So they're not as likely to get drawn in. Um, but it's also much harder to abuse kids. Because if they have words for things, then they can talk to you about it. They can know, wait a minute, that's not right. Yeah, that's so important. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that it's not so much whether our children know these words because they're going to pick them up. Mm -hmm. It's the right context. And we want to be the ones having those conversations with our children and our teens. One thing I will say to my children is just please ask me questions. You know, I'd rather you hear it from me than on the playground. So if you hear something on the playground, just come and ask us whether it's yeah. right or not. Like we're always here to give you information. If we don't know, we'll go look it up. But I'd rather you mm -hmm. get it from me. Sheila, we live in a culture where life is increasingly about personal gratification and very much creating your own identity and values from within yourself. How do we speak into this as Christian parents to show our children that sex is about more than personal satisfaction? I think we need to tell our kids to have a sexual ethic that endures throughout their life. Um, whether they're married, whether they're single, whatever. And that sexual ethic simply looks like I will use my body to love and honor other people, and I will always treat others with dignity. Mm. And that's going to look different whether you're married or single, but it's the same ethic. Yes. So instead of teaching a sexual ethic of you don't do anything sexual, you don't think about sex at all when you're single, and then the sexual ethic is once you're married, anything goes. No, you're always going to use your body to love and honor others, mm. and you're always going to treat others with dignity. Yeah. And that's what Jesus did. Yeah. He used his body to love and honor others, and he treated others with dignity. And that needs to be our sexual ethic. That needs to be our ethic with everything. And And that means that, yeah, when you're single you're going to treat others with dignity. Mm. And, you know, um, having sex when you're 15 does have long-term consequences quite often. Mm. And you don't want to do that to someone that you're probably not going to marry. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, um, it just, it hurts. You can break someone's heart. Mm. Um, you know, you can cause shame, you can cause pain, you can, there's a lot of things that go into that. Um, and, and even just telling kids, you know, especially for girls, sex is not necessarily a physically pleasurable experience mm. early yeah. <laughs> in your yep. sexual debut. And, and you don't want, especially for boys, you don't want to cause girls discomfort, pain, feeling overwhelmed, you know, just so that you can get some pleasure. Mm. Um, that's not the way you want to start. That's not treating her with dignity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it's like, how can we think of others? Because that's what we should be doing in all areas of our lives. And I think what I love about that is because that does just run through the whole of life because I my experience of uh, Christian sex education in my teens was very much like, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. And then I got mm -hmm. married and nobody talks about it. <laughs> so you don't know what you're allowed to do or 
how you mm-hmm. should be approaching this or what it's like and you can't talk to anybody um it's like right now you're married now you're on your own whereas actually what you're saying is true throughout and it's it's a an overriding philosophy theology really that can mm-hmm. go through the whole of life and it relates of course to you know treating your body as a temple it's 100% biblical yeah and if you're treating others with dignity then it means that um you know what if a girl comes up and she's really scantily dressed you still treat her with dignity yes because i think the effort on um on the lust message is to try to control what girls are wearing you're never going to be able to control what every girl in the world is wearing. No. And so the emphasis has to be on telling boys, no matter what she's wearing, you treat her with dignity. Yeah. You know, and telling girls the same thing about boys. <laughs> yes. Um, but you treat them with dignity. Yeah. Uh, and so, and, and you're capable of doing that. Mm. That's the thing is like, let's believe in our kids because kids rise to the expectations. And if your expectation always is, you're going to treat someone with dignity. They they need to see you when someone is scantily dressed, not staring at them openly and going, oh my goodness, can you believe they're wearing that? <laughs> you know, because if that's the message that we are all always giving, then yeah, they're going to feel like they can't help it when someone's scantily dressed. But if instead we just, it just doesn't bother us. It's just not a thing. I don't need to, I don't need to consume my thoughts with this. I don't need to point it out to other people. It's just not a big deal. It's like how you, how you handle swearing when someone's three, if you react to that word, they're going to keep saying it. If you just don't react to it, you know, (laughs) know, it's like, okay, (laughs) react. Yeah. Just don't react. Now, can I mention one other thing? I have, I have a, I have a big thing that I always tell parents of teens and and tweens that, that their kids need to know. And that's the concept of arousal non-concordance. Okay. This is so important. And arousal non-concordance, what this means is that your brain and body don't necessarily match up. So your body could feel aroused when your brain is like, oh, I don't like this. Or what we, what often happens in marriage is your brain is like, yes, I want this and your body's not responding, right? So sometimes, you know, <laughs> you get aroused. Here's why it's important. If someone is a victim of uh, date rape or sexual assault in some way, but in the process of that, they got aroused, they often feel like they consented and uh, it was their fault. Mm. And so when we teach kids, hey, just because you're aroused doesn't mean you consented. That's yeah. huge. And that's especially true for boys because, you know, sex is anatomically can't happen unless there's an erection. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so just teaching kids that that arousal does not equal consent. Mm. That's also really important for the porn conversation, because mm. what happens with so many kids is they see pornography and so much of it is violent and degrading and terrible and they're completely grossed out. They're overwhelmed. They're traumatized, but their body responds. Yes. And so they think, I guess I'm a pervert. I guess this is what I like. And they start seeking it out. And so telling your kids ahead of time, you know what? Sometimes you see stuff, it's designed to arouse you. It doesn't mean you like it. It Mm. doesn't mean that you're a pervert. It doesn't mean that you're an addict. Yeah. You know, your body sometimes responds to stuff that you don't want your body to respond to. That's normal. But just remember that you can walk away and this doesn't define you. And that's just such an important conversation to have early with kids, because this is the kind of thing that can lead to a lot of shame and blame later on. That's so helpful. Thank you. So arousal does not equal consent. And I love how you framed it in the porn conversation as well. And we're going to be looking at pornography a a bit more in a few Mm -hmm. weeks time, which is great. Thank you so much. 
Sheila, this has been so helpful. Thank you. As we wrap up, can you just tell us about your books, uh, your podcast, your ministry? Where can we find you online? Sure. Well, bearmarriage.com is our website and you can see links to everything there. Our Bear Marriage podcast, my social media. I'm really active on Instagram, um, but also our books. Uh, she Deserves Better which is our survey of 7,000 women about how it affects, how, how our messages affected teenagers. It's great for moms of daughters, but you know, moms of sons, I think you can get a lot out of it too. And the findings are really interesting. And then Great Sex Rescue just looks at how um, the church has actually really mishandled the sex conversation and has hurt, hurt us in the process. And here's how we can do better. That's brilliant. Thank you. And can you just say something quickly about the whole story? Because I yes, think that would be of really course, interesting. I always forget to mention that. <laughs> You've got too and many resources. Have, yes. And then we <laughs> do have a course, a puberty and sex course. It's video based and it does, does a lot of the work for you. But we like to say that it starts the conversation so that you can continue it. So we tell kids what sex is, what puberty is, the body changes that happen. We talk about peer pressure. Um, we talk about boundaries, all of those important conversations. And so the whole story, it's for boys and girls. There's two different courses um, and they're divided into the younger group where it's mostly information and then older group um, where it's like, how do you make decisions around these things? So go check that out too. If you go to bearmarriage.com and just click on courses and it's right there. I can personally vouch for the whole story. I bought it a few years ago for my oldest two. I'm now starting to use it with my youngest two. It's really good. It does help start those conversations if you're at all feeling awkward about it. Um, mm -hmm. But it does open up those conversations to kind of have, have healthier conversations about puberty and sex um, mm -hmm. with your children. So thank you, Sheila, and your team for writing it. It's amazing. Go check out Sheila on her website, on her podcast, on her Instagram. And thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute education. Thanks. Good to talk to you, Lucy. We like to end our podcast with a question that you can ask your kid or teenager to spark an interesting conversation. This week, why not ask them, what do you think the hardest thing about being a teenager was for Jesus? Have a great conversation. We'll be back next week with Matt McClary talking about when you go to a new church. And thank you so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, would you consider donating so that we can keep making it? We love uh, finding these guests and creating these episodes for you. Um, but all of that takes time and money and resources to do. And we'd love to keep doing that. So you can click on the links in the show notes or go to brf.org.uk forward slash donate. Um, or on the Parenting for Faith website, there's a big green donate button. Any gift makes a real difference, whether that's one or two pounds as a one off um, or you want to become a friend where you give that amount every month. We would be so grateful. But yeah, have a great week and join us again next week. Bye. Bye.